Praise God. Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the congregation and coming together as the body of Christ this morning. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would use me as a vessel to speak what you desire, that, Lord, that your word would not return void, but it would purpose uh, that which you have, that it would not... um, be unfruitful, but that it would produce fruit in our lives, that it would inspire us and challenge us and increase our faith, because that's pleasing in your sight, Lord. I just thank you for everybody who's here this morning. We thank you for this congregation and this opportunity to speak your word. I pray the Holy Spirit breathe life upon this. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, like we said earlier, um, this is Palm Sunday. You know, and um, I'm not sure, you know, there's so many variations in calendars and traditions, church traditions. Did it actually, the triumphal entry, did it actually happen on a Sunday? I'm not sure. Because there's so many um, things when you get into the calendars in the Bible and you look at this, and there's the, the Jewish calendar, and then there's the Gregorian calendar that came afterwards. And a lot of these things got scrambled. Everything got, you know, kind of mixed around a little bit. And there's a lot of things that we hold to as far as traditions, and we say, oh, that's the Bible. But a lot of these things are man's traditions, and they're not necessarily um, in line with the scriptures. And I'm not sure, I'm not, I'm not saying that Sunday is not Palm Sunday, but I'm saying this event did take place, where Jesus did uh, come into Jerusalem on a set date that was in accordance with the prophecy in the book of Daniel chapter 9, which we just went through during our Bible study. And it was an appointed day. And Jesus said about that, he's, uh, there's a psalm that was written about it, it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And it was that particular day when Jesus came in riding on the foal of a donkey riding in Jerusalem, and it says it was lowly. It was an act of peace. It wasn't the act of a conqueror. It was the act of a, uh, a lowly Savior. And he came in, and uh, he told his disciples to go into the town and uh, go into this place and said, when you see this donkey tied up over there, it says the master has need of the use of that donkey. And they just grabbed it. The guy says, okay, I guess, you know, he had the memo also. And he let the donkey go, and Jesus got on the donkey, put their, their cloaks on its back. And it was a donkey that was never ridden on before. So you're thinking to yourself, was that a, a wild donkey? Or, you know, was it like... You know, it, an unbroken donkey? Would that be strange for somebody to just sit down on the donkey one time without anybody training it? But Jesus did it, and he rode it in. And when people saw that, the crowd was stirred. And everybody started coming out, and they saw the disciples. They were laying their cloaks down on the road, and people were cutting off leafy branches from the trees and palm leaves, and they were waving them in the, in the air, and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And that means save now. They had anticipated that the Messiah was coming and that they were going to throw off this oppression from the Romans and could this be the moment, like when David was going to take dominion over the kingdom, that he was going to come in and and throw off this oppression as a conqueror. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came, like he said, we sang, you know, like a, he, he took the fall for us. You know, he was like a rose crushed on the ground. You're, you're looking at a rose on the ground. Well, wow, that poor thing, you know, what happened to that? It w- could have been something, but look at it now. It's just smeared on the ground there. 
But Jesus came in, and that was that lowly position that he took. He understood exactly what his mission was. He came riding in on the donkey, and the crowds are going crazy. And the, the, the Pharisees and the, you know, the scribes, and they hear the kids crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. And they said to his disciples, rebuke your disciples. He, so, he told the Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Do you hear what they're saying? Do you understand what they're saying? This itinerant teacher, this Jew from Nazareth, is coming into Jerusalem, and he's being heralded as Messiah, the anointed one, and everybody's crying out, and he's telling them, stop them from doing this. This is not right what they're doing. They were upset over this. And Jesus said something amazing. He says, if I were to tell them to stop appraising right now, the very rocks on the ground would cry out. Because this was an appointed prophetic day. And if people didn't herald him as king at that moment, the rocks would have cried out at that moment. That's pretty amazing. That that's how precise the word of God is. It's so precision that in Daniel it talks about that event coming on a particular day that they would... You remember when Jesus, we talked about last week, where he fed the multitudes uh, bread. He, he divided the fishes and the loaves and he just fed, you know, one time 5,000 men, the other time 4,000 men plus women and children, this multitude. And the first time he did that, the people were so excited about that because it's like, wow, is this the Messiah? Not only is he going to be the Messiah, but he's going to make bread for us. He's going to provide bread for us. And this is the people were going to come and try to make him king at that point. And he says he departed and he went into the wilderness. He went away from that because it wasn't that day. It was not supposed to be that day. But this day, he allowed himself to be heralded as the Messiah, the King of Israel. He was allowing himself because this was an appointed day. He also cried as he came to Jerusalem because the leadership, the rulership of the Jews did not accept who he was. They were very upset, and in fact, at this very point, they were plotting his death. And they said amongst themselves, they said, not during the Passover, lest there be an uproar amongst the people. During the feast, um, there were several feasts throughout the year that the Jews were commanded that they had to come into Jerusalem and celebrate. This was one of the feasts. The Passover was one of the feasts that the Jews, all men had to appear before uh, the temple and celebrate the Passover. So the numbers in the cities were swelled up. It was a, a large amount of people. You know, I'm sure people were probably camping out in tents and if there was anybody they knew and all, if there was inns, they were packed out. It was just a, a massive crowd there. And they were plotting already how to kill Jesus because he had already raised Lazarus from the dead and people were all excited about this miracle that he did and he says many many people were coming in and believing in Jesus Christ because they saw this miracle and they wanted to see Jesus but they also wanted to see Lazarus because Lazarus was dead four days behind the tomb and Jesus spoke him forth and he came out and he's walking around with Jesus now so it's, that's pretty amazing. You think if you, you, you see something like that. And it says, the, the, the scribes and the, the Pharisees, it says, look at what we're, tra we're trying to suppress this. And everybody's going after him. It's not working what we're trying to do. They were upset about this. And it says, don't do this crucifixion during the Passover, lest there be a, a mob. And Jesus says, no. In his heart, he goes, this was an appointed time for me to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill these feasts. These, this is the whole Bible is about Jesus. 
Passover is about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That Jesus is that Lamb of God and he was going to be heralded. He was going to be crucified on this event because it was all about Jesus. It all revolves around Jesus. Amen. In fact, when he was coming in and he was having his, his uh, last supper with his disciples, he was having this, this uh, communion meal that he passed on to the church, one of the ordinances, baptism as well as communion, which we did this morning. It, it had its roots in the Passover ceremony where the Jews were in Egypt and God was calling them to come out, come out of the world, come out of that system and come into the wilderness and worship me. And Pharaoh says, I'm not letting them go. I'm not letting them go. I'm not letting them go. Ten times he hardened his heart. So finally God says, okay, what's the last one? The death of the firstborn. He says that anybody who's within their house, I want you to take a lamb and kill it and take some of the blood and paint it on the doorpost, on the, the top lintel and then the two doorposts. Paint that blood in there. And when the um, death angel passes by, the destroyer passes by, when he sees the blood, he'll pass over your house. This is a prefigure of Christ. It was an illustration of Christ that was to come, our Passover lamb. The one that we apply that blood over our hearts and death has no place in us now. That when we appropriate that blood. So this harkens back. One of the things it said in that ceremony was, you shall eat that with your belt on, with your cloak on, and with your staff in your hand because they were going to exit out of there. They were going to get out of, out of town. It also says, do not break any of the bones of that lamb which is significant. It comes up as a prophetically fulfilled in Christ. Don't break any of the bones. Make sure you eat the whole thing. Don't leave anything to the morning. If you don't eat it, burn it up. This is a, this is a sacred meal that you're doing. That was prefigured in the Lord's Supper, which, we, which, which we, he did with his disciples on the night that he was going to be arrested. He said, I've desired with great desire to eat this meal with you. And he sat down and he explained to them and the things that he did, the Passion Week. I normally focus on this event, this um, Palm Sunday, on this event of Christ coming into Jerusalem, being heralded as a king, and, and pretty much, okay, that's it. But there's so much more that took place on that week. It was called the Passion Week. So after this event, he comes in and he tells his disciples, there's going to be a place that go in and follow this guy who was carrying a pitcher. And there's going to be an upper room prepared and go prepare the Passover meal. And that's where we're going to have Passover together. So they go up in there and he's with his disciples. And the first thing that our Lord did was he took off his outer cloak and he girded himself like a servant. And he went in and he got some water and he told his disciples, come in here. And he had them sit down and he got a basin of water and he washed their feet and he wiped them with a towel. And Peter's looking at this like, What? You're going to wash it. That is the, like the lowest of the low service that you can do is wash somebody's feet. They walked around with sandals, very dusty. He went over there, bowed down, and he wiped their feet. And Peter says, there's no way you're wiping my feet. There's no way you're washing my feet. He says, unless I'm able to wash your feet, Peter, you have no place with me. And so he had to humble himself before the Lord. And he says, don't only wash my feet, wash my head, wash me, wash me clean. He says, no, you've already heard the word, you're already clean, only your feet need to be washed. And he washes his, their feet. The, the, the humility of Jesus, he knew already, he knew everything. He knew where he was going, he knew it was going to happen, he knew that one of them was going to betray him, and yet he washed Judas' feet. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. 
He told him straight up. He said, Peter, he says, I'm going to the cross. And Peter says, no matter what, Lord, I'm with you. I'm there. I'm, I'm down with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to back you up. And he says, Peter, before this night's over, you will deny me three times before the cock crows twice. And he says, not me, Lord, not me. Even if all these others, he's putting himself above the other, even if they all run away, I'm going to be with you to the end. And we know the story. We know that Judas had it in his heart before this event. Mary came in and adoring Jesus, broke that alabaster flower, put it, uh, anointed his feet with this uh, uh, sweet-smelling perfume and rubbed his feet with her hair. And Judas on the side who was carrying the money bag, he said, why wasn't this money taken and given to the poor? Not that he had any concern for the poor, but he was in charge of the money bag. And he's saying, man, we could have made some more money off of this. And conspiring in his heart already, went to the high priest and says, what do you give me if I give up Jesus? Give up his location to you. What do you give me for that? And he says, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver to betray the Lord. His heart was for wealth. It was for mammon. It was for gain. And he says, okay, I'll do it. And so we know after the, the, or while they are eating the supper, Jesus looks at Judas and he says, what you do, do quickly. And he left. And the disciples are like, wow, what was that all about? Is he going to go buy something for the, for the poor or something? And what it was, was he's, he went out and he was setting up this betrayal because it was going to happen on the Passover. It was going to happen during this event. So he went to the high priest. He says, I know where he's going to be. We always go after we eat. He's going to go up into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to go pray. I've been there. I know where he's at. And a detachment of troops was sent out to follow. And Jesus was there with his disciples. And it says it was night. And it was a full moon because it was the Passover and it coincides with the full moon. They're out in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus tells uh, Peter, James, and John, it says, you guys sit here. And, and he told his other disciples, you guys go over there. You guys come with me. And this is about a, a stone's throw away. You guys stay here and watch and pray. I'm going over there to go pray. And Jesus went and we know the story. How he was so in travail because this is where the battle was won. It was won in prayer. He went on his knees and he was crying out and he asked the Father three times. He says, if there's any other way to bring salvation to mankind, let this cup, this bitter cup pass from me. Let this thing pass. And there was silence from heaven. There was no voice from heaven. There was no, there was no confirmation. He did it three times, it says. He's in such travail that it says he was, he was sweating and like, my, and like big drops of blood. His corpuscles in his skin were, 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 were uh, uh, bursting and his, his sweat was mingling with his blood because he was under such stress. You know, we sing that song, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. We'll never know really what it costs Jesus to purchase salvation for us. To feel the weight of the sin of mankind. Past, present, and future to come. The evil. The total union that he had with his father. And he knew that at certain part that he was going to be forsaken by his father. He was already forsaken by one of his disciples. 
He was already rejected by the religious rulers of his age. He was already feeling like, wow, can you imagine the weight that Jesus was feeling? You ever did something and, and uh, it, was, it was your best attempt at something and you got slapped in the face for it? And that feeling of betrayal, it's like, man, you let down for it. You can imagine Jesus at any point, if he would have said, you know what, this isn't worth it. I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. I didn't know it was going to be this tough. And just says, forget it. He said that he could have called uh, legions of angels come down and just stop the whole thing. You know what? Just toast the earth. It's not worth it. These people are too wicked. But he did not do it. Even though that power was at his disposal, he could have done it. He's in the garden. He's travailing three times. He goes back to the Father. And it says... In the book of Hebrews, it says, because of his godly fear that he was heard by the Father, he, the Lord heard this prayer, but he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. You ever had that? You go through a tough time, and you, you hear silence at the end of the other line, and you're like, where were you at? Where are you at? And yet there's something on the other, uh, the other end of this, that faith can only, can only be developed in faith. And so he clung to the original order. This is your commission. You know that this is what you came for. And he finally came. He, he fought through that. He fought through it. And he said this. He says, not my will, but thy will be done. That's where the battle was won right there. He set his face. He goes, I already knew this is what I came for. This is my mission. But there was still that spiritual struggle that he battled through in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right at that moment, the detachment of troops came in on the scene. Judas leading them. He comes up. And he comes up to the man with such audacity. And he, said, and he kisses him. And he says, Rabbi. And Jesus looks at him, friend. He calls him friend. Friend, what did you come for? You betrayed me with a kiss. And the detachment of troops come over there with clubs and torches and swords. And he says, I was teaching you in the temple every day. And you guys are coming out as a criminal. And they grab him and they take him away. And they take him in in the middle of the night to Caiaphas. They take him in for a trial. It was the father-in-law of the high priest. They went first. And they said, this is the one. We finally got him. We got him over here. And they start questioning him. And Jesus isn't answering them much. He says already, Satan is coming, and I don't, he has nothing in me. And he knew already, I'm not going to try to uh, get out of this. This is what I'm here for. And so they're making all these accusations, and nothing is sticking, and the, the testimonies are conflicting, and they're like, you know, whatever. And then finally it gets to the point, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, it is as you say. And they, they, they said, um, it was to the effect of the high priest said, he says, and you won't see me again until you see me at the right hand of the Father coming on the clouds of glory. And the high priest grabs his robe and he rips it and he goes, what more need do we have of testimony? You've heard the blasphemy. This man says that he's the son of God, the son of man from the book of Daniel. He's claiming that. That's it. That's, 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 um, that's a capital punishment. And in order for them to pull this off, I don't really understand this because they stoned Stephen, the first martyr, why they didn't do it. But we know that it was an appointed method. He, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, if I be crucified, I will draw all men unto myself. So it had to be through the cross. It wasn't going to be a stoning. It was going to be the cross. And they grabbed him and they took him. 
And Peter was following from behind. He went into the, he went into the, the praetorium. He was there. And there were some servants there. And they made a fire. It was still early in the morning. And it was cold. And he was warming himself by the fire. And one of the servant girls said this. Didn't I see you with Jesus? Didn't I see you with him? You're one of his disciples. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And he turned away. And then it happened again. And then they said, well, somebody else said, no, I know you're one of his disciples. I can tell by your accent. You're, a, you're from Galilee. You're one of his disciples. And he swore, swore, and says, I never knew the man. And right there, the, the rooster crowed. And he says he turned and he locked eyes with Jesus at that point. Can you imagine how Peter felt at that point? This person who Jesus says um, that he was always the go-to guy. He was always the one who had the answer for the situation. And all of a sudden, in his weakness of his flesh, he turns over there to Messiah, and he looks him eye to eye, and Jesus looked at him. And I'm sure it was a look of love. But can you imagine how Peter felt about that? And he, he says he, he wept bitterly after that. He went out of there, and he wept bitterly. They finally bring him to another trial. They bring him before Pilate, wake him up early in the morning. It says, we got, we got this person. He's a subversive. He's trying to, he's, trying to, he, he's not uh, bowing the knee to Rome. And we have him right here. We got him. We want you to try him. And they said, it's, that's a religious matter. You guys deal with it. No, no, no. He's saying not to pay taxes to Caesar. If, if we don't deal with this, then you're no friend of Caesar. So he put this guy in, a, in a, a rock in a hard place. He put him in a rock in a hard place there. And so he goes, all right, let's see it. And his wife had a dream the night before and says, have nothing to do with this man. Don't get involved with this. So Pilate comes in and he hears this story from Jesus. And he's looking at him and he's trying to ask him questions. And he realizes in his heart, the only reason why they're bringing this man before me is because they're jealous of this man's anointing and his authority. And Pilate is trying to find a way to release him. And he says, don't you answer anything to me? Aren't you going to try to plead for your life? And Jesus looks at him and says, unless the authority had been given to you, you would have no authority over me. And I'm sure that must have struck him cold, like, whoa. So he's on trial all of a sudden. His authority is being questioned right there, Pilate. And he says, I find no fault in this man. Send them. They go off to Herod. Herod is the jurisdiction of Galilee or the area where Jesus was doing most of his ministry. Send him over there. Go let him deal with this problem. And he goes up to Herod and Herod is kind of mocking. He says, oh, I was waiting to meet this guy. Do a miracle for me. We want to see you do it. And Jesus is just silent, not talking. He knew this is all a sham. Why should I even, you know, give any kind of answer here? And then finally Herod says, I don't find anything wrong with this guy. You know, the testimonies don't line up. And so back to Pilate. Pilate is still in a rage. Now, this crowd that was heralding Jesus just a few days later, the high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and those who were enemies of Christ went into the crowd and says, this man is a subversive. He claims he's the Messiah, he's at, but he's not the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. And so they go up to the crowd and whip this crowd up into a frenzy. And so when they bring Jesus out, they said, what should we do with the king of the Jews? And the crowd starts screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. How fickle is the crowd? We should know from this story and from life in general 
that the crowd is not always right. Amen? Don't follow the crowd because the crowd ain't always right. There's fake news out there and it's pushing an agenda to get the crowd to do what they want because they have an agenda behind it. The thing I've been preaching about recently is do we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? Do we have eyes to see, truly see, what is real, what is eternal, what is true? If we have the Holy Spirit within us, we have the Spirit of truth. We should be able to discern when that does, just doesn't, it doesn't click with my spirit. Something's off with that. This is the importance of knowing the Word. This is the importance of having the Holy Spirit within you, that you have that that counselor, that voice that tells us this isn't right. And there must have been some in the crowd. What about Jairus' daughter who was raised from the dead? Was she there in that crowd? Or the people that were healed of blindness? The ones that were accused by the Jews? This man is an evil man. How could he be evil if he opened the eyes of the blind? Can you imagine the ones that, how many people, there's so many miracles that Jesus did. How did this crowd overcome all those things? And yet there was silence. The crowd was screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Can you imagine how Jesus felt? Pilate was still between a rock and a hard spot. So he says, man, I don't really want to crucify this guy. He hasn't really done anything to justify crucifixion. I know what I'll do. Take him in the back and scourge him. So they put him on the, the whipping post and they took the cat of nine tails which is a whip that has bits of lead and bone in it embedded into the ends of this whip and they thrashed him and, and just ripped, it, ripped the, the, the skin off of his back and just beat him and when they brought him out he was probably so they, they pressed a crown of thorns on his head they pierced him and they took a reed and whacked him until the thing, the, the thorns went down into his head and it must have been just blood pouring down his head. And he brings him out in front of this massive crowd and he says, behold the man. This guy did not plead for his life. He did not, he did not say, I'm a subversive, please have mercy on me. He did not. He held his tongue because he was come for a specific mission to die for our sins. That whipping that he took was for our healing. The accusations that he was taking was on our behalf because we're reprobates, we're sinners, we're transgressors. We uh, did not esteem the things of God and he was taking all our punishment, that wrath that was from the Father, he was taking it as a buffer so that we could partake of the goodness of God. He was taking our punishment upon him. By his stripes we are healed in our salvation as well as in our body. They bring him out and he's standing there mocking him with a crown of thorns and purple just like what it says on this cross and they said behold the king of the Jews. They bring out another person it was a tradition that this time of year that we have a tradition here that we are going to release to you one prisoner. It was like almost like the not to make light of this, but the, the, during the um, Thanksgiving that they pardoned the turkey. We're going to pardon the turkey here. One we're going we're gonna to eat for the uh, Thanksgiving and one we're going to let go. The presidents do that as a kind of a mock. But this is sort of like a ceremony. We have one prisoner and we're going to show you how magnanimous we are. We're going to release you a prisoner and they bring out Barabbas, which means son of the father. That could have been any one of us. The son of the father, Barabbas, the rebel, the murderer, bring him out. 
And then they have Jesus on their side who healed the sick, who raised the dead, who opened blind eyes, who fed the multitude, and the Pharisees are in the crowd, and they probably had their signs. Um, what do you want to do? And, and they put up for Jesus, crucify, crucify. And everybody, yeah, crucify. Because they wanted to see a spectacle. I don't understand. It must have been some demonic spirit was on, on this crowd. Or it's God's word just being fulfilled right now. And the nature of the human being is coming out. This has to be done. Do you want Barabbas, Pilate? Do you want Barabbas? You want me to release Barabbas? Or do you want Jesus? Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We want the criminal. We want the murderer. We want the rebel. Release him to us. How could this be? Jesus, all he did was good. But he claimed to be the son of God. And so they grabbed him and it says, well... And they grabbed him and they put a cross. They said, you got to carry this instrument of your own execution. After being whipped, can you imagine how weak he must have been? And he had to carry this cross all through the, the city of Jerusalem. If you go, you go those of you who've been to Jerusalem know the Vela de Rosa, the, the, the trail of sorrow that Jesus carried this cross through Jerusalem. And people jeering him jeering at him you called yourself the messiah look at you if you're really the messiah you think you'd be carrying a cross to this street and he's just he's he's bearing his cross he's picking it up and he's going because he understands his mission i've come to fulfill this work this is my mission that i'm come to fulfill and he carries the cross up to the hill and there was also three other criminal or two other criminals that were crucified next to him so there was one cross in the middle and Two other criminals, um, condemned criminals on the side of him. And they nail him to the cross. Execution by cross, developed actually by the Syrians, perfected by the Romans. One of the most painful ways to die. Probably the most painful way to die. You know, when I crushed my hand, uh, one of my nerves got crushed almost to the point where it did sever it. And... and the reason why they chose the hands and the feet is because those nerves, they go to your feet, they go to your hands. It's very sensitive. You ever hit your funny bone, that feeling that you get, that ringing feeling of pain? Um, multiply that by, I don't know, tens. And, and they drove nails right through there. And you're being held up. They probably tied his wrist onto the cross because if the, the thing was here, they probably put him in his wrist right here, they said. If they put it through his hand, it probably would have pulled through. So they punctured him in his, in his uh, wrists, hung him up there on the cross through his feet. I can't even imagine the amount of pain that would be to be pinned up there like that. And it says that as he's up on the cross, it says that your, your body weight is sagging down and you've got to push off of your feet in order to breathe or else you'll suffocate. And so this form of death could take several hours and sometimes days to die like that. You know, and you're trying to preserve your life, you're pushing up, and every time you're pushing up, you feel that pin, that, that nail through your feet to push up and take a breath and then sag down. And people are looking at him and he says, yeah, he said he's the Messiah. He said it, but look at you now. And just mocking him to the very end. And he says, I thirst. And they got a sponge and they, 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 put a, um, they put it into some sour vinegar and they put it up to his face and he drank. And as he's there suffering for our sins, 
The Roman guards are gambling for his tunic because it was a nice piece of cloth. They said it was all one piece. And they go, let's not rip this up like the other. Let's gamble for it. So they grab their dice and they're throwing dice at the base of the cross to get this tunic from Jesus. And they're probably laughing and thinking this is a spectacle and people are watching. And and he's, he's up there on the cross. And the two criminals on the side, they says, you know, you call yourself the Messiah, but now look at you over here. And then all of a sudden, one of them gets it in his mind. He goes, you know what? We deserve what we're getting over here. You and I, I mean, we did our crime and we're suffering for the penalty of this. But him, he never did anything. One of them says, yeah, right. And he's just, they're mocking him. The criminals are mocking him. The crowd's mocking him. But one of the criminals comes to his senses and he says this. He says, and you imagine the amount of faith it took to say this. He says, Lord... When you enter into your kingdom, remember me. When you enter into your kingdom, remember me. Can you imagine the faith that you're looking next to you and this guy's bloodied and beaten and they're mocking him. And he looks over and he says, but there's something about this guy. There's something about him. When you come into your kingdom, remember, I'm going to die soon. Have mercy on me. And Jesus looks over to him and he says this, today, today you will be with me in paradise. The gift of salvation was working already. The gift of grace was working already. He was extending it to those around him. And as they're mocking Jesus on the cross, what does he do? One of the things that Jesus said, one of the last things he said from the cross was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you imagine the extent of God's mercy, the extent of God's love, the extent of His grace towards us as sinners? Sometimes we think, I think this was too much. I don't know if God can forgive that. Think of the cross. Think of the cross. Think of these people mocking Him. Where would we be in that crowd? Don't just glaze over it, but think to yourself, where would I, if I didn't have 2,000 years of history, if I didn't have a New Testament Bible, where would I be in that crowd? Something to think about, something to really consider. Where would I be? Would I be? I don't even want to speculate. I don't want to speculate. But it's something to consider. Because remember what Jesus told to the Pharisees. He said, you say, oh, if we were alive during the times of the prophets, we wouldn't have killed them. We wouldn't have stoned them to death. He says, by your very words, you condemn yourself. Because you're not even, you don't have enough insight to even consider, would I have done the same thing? Would I have been on the side of killing one of the prophets? Because Jerusalem, all the prophets die. They come in and it's a message. I don't want to hear that message. Get some stones. Let's kill this guy. Are we that open to the Word of God? Or is the ears opened up? Are we attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Do we know the ways of God? Or we just shoot from the hip? Do we follow the crowd? Do we listen to the fake news? Or do we seek to know what the truth is? To look at Jesus on the cross. Did you see a Messiah there? Or you see a condemned criminal? Uh, he, he was just acting. He was acting like he's the Messiah. But as the words came out of his mouth, it was catching people's attention. Jesus, the last act that he did, he lifts up and he said, 
Lama Eli Eli Lama Shabbatani, which is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that point there was darkness on the land. All of a sudden the sun went from the sky and it went totally dark. I think that should catch some people's attention at that point, right? And there was a great earthquake. The ground starts shaking and the sun goes out and he, and he was like, whoa. And God the Father, the last vestige, has to turn his face away from his son because all the sin of mankind is placed upon him at that point. And God says, I can't look at this. And he turns away. Jesus, all alone between heaven and earth, interceding on our behalf. And the Father has to even turn away from it. I can't watch. The separation. They were always together from all eternity. Separate. He doesn't even call him Father. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? The creator of the universe asking a question that's an open-ended question. Great earthquake. And he says, he lifted himself up and he's cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. Or in the, I think it's Aramaic, tetelestai, which means paid in full. The debt has been paid in full. Whatever we have done, whatever the sin, was paid in full at the cross. Paid in full. We can draw on that when we, when we fail, when we screw up. Man, Lord, uh, I don't know, is your mercy that big? Paid in full. Paid in full. I, pay, I wrote the thing off. Do you have the faith to accept what I did? You could never do this. I could never, nobody could do this. I like Mel Gibson's portrayal of this, the fight in the Garden of Gethsemane. I know it's a movie, but it was, it was a nice touch where that wicked-looking, androgynous-looking Satan character met him in the, in the garden. And he's whispering to him, nobody can do this. It's too hard. You can't, you can't, nobody can bear this. And he was trying to get him, trying to get into his head. And see, you know, wavering in his flesh, because Jesus was all man, and he was all God. Trying to leverage between that flesh. Come on, man, if I can stop him from doing this, my kingdom can be preserved. And Jesus says, I'm, I, this is my mission, and I don't care if I've been betrayed. I'm not stopping from the pain. I'm not stopping from the rejection. I'm going to finish this mission. And he did it. He did it for us. Paid it in full. There was a great earthquake. It's dark. And even the Roman centurion who was standing next to the cross he looked at that and he said to himself or he said out loud this truly was the son of God as he breathed his last and he, he, he uh, dismissed his spirit Jesus says nobody takes my life I lay it down and I have the ability from God to pick it up again he dismissed his spirit after he paid for our sins he breathed his last and Jesus went it says down into the earth down into the compartments of the earth in Luke's gospel it talks about those two compartments you had the place of torment and you had the place of uh, Abraham's bosom and even beneath that you had a place called Tartarus 
which was where the angels who sinned are being held in reserves in chains of darkness. Jesus went down there and for three days he proclaimed his victory over all the principalities, over all the angels, over all mankind, over all. The, I have redeemed creation. I have paid for sin and I am Lord. I am King of Kings and Lord of Lords and everybody knows it. But we at this point receive that information by faith. We yet don't see everything placed underneath Jesus' feet. His kingdom has not been received yet. It has not come to the earth yet. It's reserved for that day. The gospel message is Jesus, Jesus came. He, he uh, died. He spent three days in the grave and he resurrected. But it doesn't end there. He's coming back and he's going to establish his kingdom. And we are part of that kingdom. We're part of that message. Some people say, what difference did it make? What difference did it make that Jesus died? It made all the difference in the world. But yet we don't see all things placed under his feet yet. But all these things came to pass prophetically, just like the Bible said they would. And there's the second half that's coming. He's coming again. But I'm going to leave this story right there. They um, eventually, they took the body. Joseph of Arimathea, he had a, a tomb that was hewn that nobody had ever been laid in before. And he says, can I have the body of Jesus? He went to Pilate, says, can I have his body? And he goes, he's dead already? And what happened was, because it was a Sabbath, and that don't mean it was, there was a Sabbath coming up, but there's an interesting study on this. Jesus spent three days and three nights in the tomb, not a part of a day and a part of a night. It was three days and three nights. Therefore, I don't think it was Good Friday that Jesus died. And there's people that have dissected this scripture from scripture and said uh, it was probably Wednesday that he was crucified. Because it was, he says he was performing the sign of Jonah. You remember Jonah? He says, give us a sign that you're Messiah. He says, I won't give you any sign but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He fulfilled that sign. Took him down. He said, they were up on the cross and the sun, you know, was getting late. And the, the next day was a, was a yearly Sabbath. It wasn't Saturday the Sabbath, but it was a yearly Sabbath. And it says we can't leave him up on the cross because in Deuteronomy it says if you, you can't leave an accursed person on a cross, you'll be a curse on the land. Take him down before sunset. Can we have his body? The, in order to speed up the process, like I said, they could stay up there for long, many hours. So the, the guard went over there and he busted the legs of the first criminal so that he couldn't push up, so he couldn't breathe, so he suffocated to death. And they went to Jesus and they looked, well, he's dead already because Jesus dismissed his spirit. He went up to the next guy, busted his legs, and they were going to look at him. You sure he's dead? Well, let me check. And they jabbed him in the side with a spear and blood and water ran out. And then Joseph Arimathea, after this thing, went to Pilate and says, Can we have the body? I think it was him and Nicodemus. He's dead already? Yeah. And so they grabbed the body. And they took him down and they wrapped him in some linens. And they placed him in a tomb of a rich man that was never occupied. And they rolled the stone behind there. And the rest of the story is for next week. Thank the Lord Jesus for what he did for us. Amen.
I mean, if you were writing a story, would you have the audacity to write a story like that? Nobody would. We're going to have the creator of the universe come in and be born in, in Nazareth, which is a nobody, no backwater town. And he's going to be rejected by everybody. But eventually he becomes the Messiah. And then he's going to die on behalf of everybody. But he, it's going to be on a cross. And he's going to allow himself. What? The creator, you're going to allow him. Even the Jews had a, The Messiah is supposed to reign forever. What are you talking about? He's going to be lifted up. He's going to be. Weird. This doesn't compute with us. But Jesus died the death that was due to us so that we could live the life that he conferred upon us by faith. Amen? Look at the depth of his, look at the depth of his commitment. Look at the depth of his forgiveness. Look at the depth of his mercy. Look at the depth of his grace. That's the word grace right there. It, it doesn't do it justice, but one of the definitions is unmerited favor. I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't do anything. I can't do anything to pay it back. God says, just believe what I did and you are a partaker of this mercy. That's the gospel. That's why the gospel is good news. It, it blows our mind when we stop and really consider it in light of this truth. This is God's word I'm preaching of here. Right? Laid behind the stone. Rejected and alone. Like a rose. Trampled on the ground. He took the fall. He took the fall for us. He allowed himself to be this, to be mistreated. So he can, can you imagine when we meet him in light of this? It says in the Romans, it says maybe for a good person, somebody might die, might dare to die. But for a wicked person, who's going to put their life on the line for a, I know everything about you. I know every dirty deed. I know every thought. And yet I love you. And I'll die for you. The depth of his mercy. That's good news. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray.